We read today from the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 16th chapter and the 19th verse. Luke 16, 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and like Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious Father, we come humbly before you today. We know, Lord, that we have fallen short this week. There have been things said or thought or done or left undone that we know we're not your will. And so we pray by your grace, forgiveness of our sins. Cleanse us even this moment. Draw close to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Confirm within us that we are yours. Open our hearts and minds to your holy word so that we might act in accordance with your good plan for each one of us. Breathe life into your holy words so that we might know your goodwill. Watch over us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Theologian Donald Blosch once wrote, If anything has disappeared from modern thought, it is the belief in a supernatural heaven and hell. And I couldn't agree more. The Pew Research recently did a study and found that among religiously affiliated Americans, the belief is that among them that uh, about 82% of Americans believe there is a heaven, those that have some kind of religious background. That struck me as low. 80, only 82% believe that there's a heaven. What I find even more shocking is this, only 7 believe that there is a hell. In other words, many in America who have religious backgrounds say, yes, I believe that there is a heaven, but far less say, I do not believe in hell. 
And, and it makes me want to ask those people, based on what? Other than just wishful thinking. LifeWise recently and they polled just a, a, a sample of all Americans and they said that only 40% of Americans today believe that there is a hell. Only 40% believe that hell is real. I came uh, across a, a, a movie poster this week as I was studying and the movie looked like it was just terrible but the poster was even worse. The movie was called The Reincarnate. And uh, never seen it, don't want to. But the advertisement said this, no heaven, no hell, no guilt. Eternal life is the only reality. And I mean, man, isn't that convenient? Isn't that some wishful thinking? And I think that it is kind of representative of how our nation feels about heaven and hell. If we even think about heaven, and if we even think about hell. And this too makes sense because I truly believe our beliefs about heaven and hell are more shaped by comic books and modern movies, especially horror movies, than anything that the Holy Word of God has to say. Pastors don't preach much about hell these days. That's my assessment. It may be all right to preach about heaven, but most would prefer that we leave the topic of hell out of sermons, and so I think most preachers do. Because why? It's offensive. It's not culturally acceptable. And it certainly is easier and more popular to emphasize grace, which of course is an incredible gift of God. But listen, if we overemphasize one theological tenet at the expense of others, we risk becoming lukewarm Christians and a lukewarm church. And the scriptures do, the scriptures that are the anchor of our lives, they do say much about the twofold outcome heaven and hell. Listen, everything I see in the scripture says this, that God breathed life into you. And that spark, that eternal, that life is eternal. And that every one of us is going to spend eternity somewhere. And there really are only two options, that is hell and hell. Daniel 12, 2 says this, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to everlasting life but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Likewise, Isaiah 66 says this, Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. And Jesus himself, our Lord, he, he quotes this very passage in the Gospel of Mark. Three times. He, it is as if he just, he's just saying this over and over again three times so that we might hear his dire warning. Mark 9.43, this is the seriousness. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than have your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. And then he quotes Isaiah, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If causes you to stumble. Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Where what? Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A second time. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
make a point. Jesus talked about the reality of hell. He talked about hell more than any other person in the scriptures. In Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Today, many would say, yes, we believe there is a heaven. Far greater believe that, or far lesser believe there is a hell. And these beliefs are not based upon the words or the warnings of Jesus or anywhere in the Old or the New Testament, but out of a non-biblical, convenient, wishful thinking theology that will leave many shocked and horrifically disappointed on the day of judgment. Matthew 7, 23, and then I will declare to them, the saddest words that are in the entire scripture, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There is so much wishful thinking, wishful thinking theology out there. For instance, there's something called universalism. And universalism is the belief that God's grace is everywhere triumphant. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, some would say that all are covered. But the scriptures say that one must accept the free gift of Jesus and commit to follow him. The scriptures say a person decides to either trust in Christ or else he or she rejects Christ and goes to hell. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Through Christ alone, we are saved. Through Christ alone. Some out there in the faulty Wishful thinking theology say that, you know, there are many ways to Christ. There are many ways to God. And Christ is only one of them. It's, it's, a lie, it's a lie from the pits of hell. Don't be deceived. Jesus himself said, I am the truth of life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We cannot believe in Jesus and believe that there are many ways to the Father. There's something out there under the category of wishful thinking theology called the second chance view. There's some believe that after death there still is a way to escape hell. And some understand that as a, a purgatory. Or it's a place that people go to suffer for their sins and once they have suffered and paid for their sins they will be admitted into hell. There are several problems with this. First, beloved, listen. Depending on your translation, hell is mentioned in the Bible about 54 times. Heaven mentioned about 435 times. Purgatory is mentioned exactly zero times. It is a creation of the imagination, the wishful thinking of man, 
not based upon the scriptures. But to me, even more importantly than this, purgatory denies the perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood, his sacrifice covers our sins perfectly. Nothing can be, nothing will be, nothing should be added. And the very idea that we somehow earn our salvation is offensive to the perfect gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. But the point is this, Hebrews 9, 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. One time, there are no do-overs, there are no mulligans, there are no resets. The scriptures say, choose this day who you will follow. 2 Corinthians 6.1, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Two more beliefs, faulty beliefs about hell. The first one is called annihilationism. And perhaps this is the strangest one of all. Some believe that hell means a person dies like an animal and simply ceases to exist. And I find that puzzling that anyone would find comfort in that. Because what I hear is it saying, okay, so live your life without meaning and then die without meaning. And that's a strange comfort, but more importantly, it stands in opposition to the Scriptures. Matthew 18, 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. We've read this, but I want to draw your attention. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the what? Into the eternal fire. Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. What does eternal mean? Eternal means forever. Now listen, listen, we take no joy in this. For those that may be new to the church, I just want to tell you, you know, this isn't the subject of every sermon. We, we, I do my best to, to preach the full gospel, the full scriptures. We, we teach about love and grace and joy and the patience, the long-suffering of God. In, in two weeks, we'll talk about heaven but is it essential that we look at the entire counsel of the word of God? Because, beloved, I just want listen to me. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And brothers and sisters, look around culture today. There is no fear of the God. There is no fear of the Lord. There is mocking. There is defiance. There is ignoring, there is wishful thinking, but there is no fear. And even within the church, Christians proclaim their rights and say they can do what they want without what? Without fear of the Lord. We kind of get the idea in the church, you know, well, I can say whatever I want. I can say and do whatever I want. I've got my First Amendment rights. I just want to tell you, no, not in the church. When we begin to call Jesus Lord, that puts us under a, a, a new program, a new law. And the scriptures say that, only say those words that are edifying, that build up the church, the kingdom. 
I can do what I want. I've got freedom. I'm under grace. That's not what the scriptures say. And anyone who would simply take such advantage of grace, I think it brings into question their relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now please, listen to me. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but we don't stay there. As our relationship deepens and as our trust and obedience increases, as our understanding of what Jesus has done for us, as that grows, we move from an awesome fear to a thankful love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It is as if the awe and fear of the Lord push us, and then the love of God pulls us, pulls us into a deeper relationship with him, pulls us into the path that God intends for us to walk, in that good plan that he has for us. Final wishful thinking theology about hell. I hear it quite often. I bet you've heard it too. Let's call it, my God would never... Well, my God is a God of love. I could never believe in a God that would send people to hell. Have you ever heard that? It's out there. I hear it coming out of people's mouths. I just read it. I could just never believe in a God that would send people to hell. Answer, our God is a God of love. John three sixteen. we know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Greater love has no man that he would lay down his brother. What does Jesus have to do for us? What more can he do to show us that he loves us? But our God is also a righteous God. Revelation 16, 7, and I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. True and righteous are your judgments. And a righteous God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot wink at sin and pretend that it doesn't matter. And that's why it was necessary for the perfect sacrifice to be offered to pay for your sins and mine. Jesus, the one without sin, the one and only Son of God, gave his life for you. But we must respond and accept and call him Master and Lord from that day forward. Well, I could never believe in a God that would send people to hell. Listen, after all that God has done for you through Jesus Christ, who among us could honestly say that he sends anyone to hell? But rather the one who rejects the love of God, the perfect sacrifice, does he not choose, does she not choose her eternal destination? There are a lot of beliefs about God and hell out there. And I, it kind of makes me nervous when I hear people say, well, my God, listen, my God, make sure that your God is the one that is described in the scriptures and not some convenient and fanciful imitation. What is hell? I've mentioned a few things already, but in summary, hell is everything that heaven isn't 
except eternal. Hell will punish the sins of those who reject Christ. Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire into that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is conscious torment. Matthew 13, 50. And will throw them into a furnace of fire. Into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 48. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Conscious Torment that is eternal. You see, human minds can't even get their minds around that. We can't even fully understand that. If the human mind went and underwent some just continuous torture, what happens to the human mind? It just, it just stops. It just breaks down, but not so in hell. Hell is eternal and reversible. Revelation 14, 11, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Revelation 20 and 14, this is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And some might be out there thinking to yourselves, well, that sounds awfully harsh, and my God, listen, listen. Well, some might even say, well, you know, there's been a lot of people that are wrong. Maybe Cal's wrong too. Baptists, over the centuries, have been proud of their foundation in the Scriptures. So look at the Scriptures. Be guided by the Scriptures. Be guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so aren't you ready? Aren't you ready at this point for some good news? I've got the best news that's ever been spoken. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be taken out. Jesus is Lord means from this day forward, he's the master of my life. He's the Lord of my decisions. You will be saved. And that God raised him from the dead, meaning that you believe, that you know that Jesus overcame death and Satan and sin and paid for your sins so that you might be saved from all of that. Saved from a life without meaning. You see, the kingdom of heaven, once that we accept everything is going to be, you know, bunny tails and rose petals, but it does mean that Christ will walk with us. That the power of the Holy Spirit will guide and comfort and give us wisdom to overcome. We can be saved from a life without meaning. You know, saved from the consequences of sin. Saved from hell. And given the absolute and perfect hope of heaven and eternal life with Jesus. So, what is salvation? Is it a prayer whispered years ago that really changed nothing? Is it a ticket or an insurance policy received for use at a later time? Is it a place of compromise to live somewhere between culture and biblical standards? Or rather, is it a radical event that does and will change everything? The kingdom of heaven begins now for those that accept Christ as Lord. 
And the kingdom of heaven is forever for those who have dedicated their lives to him. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, oh God, who are we to even call upon you? We who are so small compared to your greatness. We know about you from what we have read in the scriptures, from what we have experienced in our own lives. And we know that you are the one, the true living God, and there is none other than you. So, Father, we pray that we would have a holy awe and fear of you and that our love would grow every day. The intimate walk that you desire for every one of us with you would become more intimate, more real every moment. I pray, Father, for those ones today that may never have accepted Jesus as Savior. I pray that your Holy Spirit would burn bright within them today. That it would confirm everything that we have read in your scriptures today and that today would be the day of salvation. We pray for those that are struggling, knowing that your grace is perfect and that you would bless and comfort we pray, Father, for one another that we would live in such a way with the knowledge of hell and the hope of heaven that it would change everything about our lives. We pray these things humbly. In Jesus' name, amen.